We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Before we begin, we wanted to issue a content warning for this week's episode. There is a frank discussion of sexual violence, assault, and trauma that some may find disturbing. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Happy New Year, Fright School. Happy New Year, Joe. Happy New Year, Joshua. Happy New Fear. Happy New Queer. Yes, all the things. All of those things. New Fear, same queer. There we go. I like (laughs) it. Uh, Yes, here we are back. Maybe a week late, but that's okay. We decided to extend our vacation a little bit. So, But we're back. And uh, once again, we're doing our new, this is like our become our tradition where we're doing a deep dive into a whole franchise. So fun. Um, but we'll get to that, won't we? Yeah, we will. <laughs> how has, uh, how have you been doing? How have you been holding up in this new year? I've been doing well Excellent. so far. Appropriately fine. I am appropriate. I have said that a lot. God bless Eric J. Brown for that gift. Yeah, I've been using it a lot too. Anytime somebody asks me, I'm doing like appropriately fine. And I stare off into space. (laughs) (laughs) People don't know what to deal. Don't know what to say when you say it like that. Yeah, which is fine. And we just then we just move the conversation along. Um. Man, I had fun at your family's uh, yeah. uh, holiday celebration. I'm so glad I did not burst into flames. No, you did not. You disgraced us with your presence. I did. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and your family's so cute because they did seem genu- genuinely worried about us. Like <laughs> after, So just context, Joe's family uh, does still celebrate the religious aspects. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, God in heaven, why are we talking about about this yeah. it's christmas um <laughs> <laughs> thank you roseanne um but your family you know they still believe in 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 that part of the tradition and you know had a lovely singing and prayer session that i got to witness and that was very fun yeah, i don't i didn't even ask you if you wanted to talk about this we're just doing a dive you in. just came into the you just like you just you know but people know. Upon an old-time prayer meeting <laughs> they know from last year you know you did your deep dive catholicisms there's exactly. your catechism and uh <laughs> now you understand why yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so i invited joshua to come and and enjoy Christmas, basically mainly to eat a bunch of food. Yes, we definitely were there for the food. Um, and, I mean, maybe to see you, but mostly the food. Yeah, mostly the food. And uh, Joshua came and Jeffrey. And um, it was really nice because for, you know, for my for my family, they uh, we do still celebrate the religious aspect of Christmas. And it's also from like a cultural context because we have a lot of our own 
cultural religious traditions that yeah. may not be um what like the wider like the more popular or wider uh, westernized version of Christians and Catholicism would celebrate Catholics would celebrate yeah so yeah so we did that and um, Joshua was there and it was fine and he did not burst into flames and- I did not and neither did you all you know they, it no. wasn't as if God you know you did you weren't an affront to God for inviting us no we weren't you know he did not punish you with the hellfire we were supposed you know the the good book does tell us that we must you know, we must, the first will be last, and the right. last will be first. Bring it, you know, to... Uh, um, Dine with sinners. Yes, and, and invite the strangers in. And, yes. you know, doesn't get much stranger than us, so... No, okay. it certainly doesn't. <laughs> um, but it was just sweet, because you're just family, you know, afterwards. It's like, was that all right? Are you all, like... You Are know, you asking okay? Asking us about the prayers and stuff, yeah. and, you know, was that weird? Like, no, it's not weird. I grew up in fucking Ohio with the Southern Baptists. Like, yeah. you know, if y'all wanted to speak in tongues, do it. Not that they... You know, yeah, yeah, your yeah. One, your aunt or cousin or somebody asked me if if I was worried. That oh yeah, she was like, oh, you're all tongue. we're all like a bunch of cult. She said, oh, what kind of cult is this? And I was like, well, you know, not wrong, right? right. Not not wrong in that you know religion and cultish behavior, but um, I think it was it's something that like because of how we do it, it always feels like we need to explain ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you don't, but I, I get, I understand that if you have people that are just there yeah. watching you, I'd also want to be like, yeah. I'd be uncomfortable. Like if I had religious beliefs, I think, yeah. cause they can look, you know, it can look odd to people yeah. or seem silly or whatnot. I wanted to start everything off with father, son and house of Gucci, but I didn't think that was going to go over well. So. I wish that would have been great. I would have died laughing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then the f- and then the food aspect was yes. delicious. Yeah. Oh my gosh, all the food that you all had was amazing. Yeah. So we got good. to I got to share with Joshua the finally the the fruit the food of my people. Right. Um, homemade, so not the stuff that we get at you know from Uber Eats, but definitely. Oh, it was all incredible too. Yeah. There was a full pig. There was a little little lechon pig. Ass pig. That's true. Sitting there, staring at all of us. Joshua looking at it like, "Do you, can I have the skull?" <laughs> I was being serious, but he, you did not bring it to me. So no. But I think it's a lot of work too to like you have to like boil them and stuff. Yeah. To like get everything. Anyways, it's okay. It's fine, Joe, that you didn't get me a skull, but the skull of a of a porcine skull. Yeah. It was just there. I was just like, oh, I mean, it'd be so easy. Don't worry. When I get the goat, there we go. No. <laughs> yes, I definitely would love a goat skull. Uh, anyways, what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. So, anyways, I just wanted to say that it was a very good time, and your family is very lovely. Thank you. And, How was your uh, scary Christmas? Yeah. It was fine. Yeah, it was a good time. We uh, we put a puzzle out, and that I didn't think it would be as engaged with as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Joe. By the by, him asking this question, uh, now you all know that he did flake, uh, as Californians are known to do, uh, and did not or show up. Or was I busy helping my family prepare? You for lived your fifteen arrival. minutes away. You could have come. For, well, that's true. You did have to sacrifice some things and build the altar. And all. Exactly. <laughs> But I was we sad had to that you weren't there. Circle the house in salt, and there were others that asked, "Like, where's Joe?" You know, and I'm like, I don't fucking know, and I'm not gonna text her either. <laughs> Fuck her. <laughs> I, I, I surprised but you that, were missed. But I'm anyways. surprised that people, some people, still don't quite understand that, 
like I do see you very regularly. Yeah. So if I'm not there, like it's not an affront. Like you said, we'll using we'll just use that word all day. Right. It's not an affront to you. It's more like I am going to see you. Well, yeah, but it's also it's like you know the holidays, it's different. It's yeah, family, yeah. you know, yeah. so getting together. But anyway, so we had put out a puzzle, so a lot of people worked on the puzzle. Oddly enough. Um, or not oddly. I mean, I put it out there so there was something to kind of do uh, along with other games, but we ended up just kind of working on the puzzle the whole time, and that was really fun. Nice. Uh, and people brought food. You know, the usual. Uh, lots of delicious stuff to munch on and eat and drink and be merry and all that. And uh, I showed Violent Night. People enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of making, a, a, like, a, as, I, as I'm progressing, I'm making, like, a softer, scary Christmas. So it's, like, the stuff that I showed was a little more benign, I think, than yeah. past years. Uh, I showed the Black Christmas remake. That was actually fun to watch with people and talk about because, of you know, like, our discussion. Yeah, yeah. When we, when we discussed, like, you know, men don't you know, need the help of, like, primordial ooze. Um, but apparently, they do. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was super fun. I was very, very glad to get the chance to to do it again yeah and see people and how was the new year's your book retreat oh that was good too yeah we had a little dance party that was fun uh, i had kind of sent out to everybody to give us like two or three of your favorite songs to dance to like what song do you want to just lose your mind to and so we built a big giant playlist and hit shuffle and had a dance party Nice. That's yeah. nice. It was, it was cute. Yeah, yeah. For New Year's, because every day we read for most of the day in the mm-hmm. you know, when it was light out, and then we would kind of do activities at night. So, like, people did, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, like, PowerPoint presentations. I didn't do one, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, I'm cooking and doing a bunch of other stuff. I'm not prepping a presentation on top of this. Uh, I'm in school. I don't want to make a presentation unless I absolutely, like, gun pointed at me have to do it for a grade got it so i didn't do that but other people did that was very fun uh another night well for new year's eve we like got glammed up so did makeup and hair that was a really good time and then the dance party and Mm -hmm. then into new year's slid into new year's uh we had a movie night oh yeah we watched glass onion the first night oh nice for our like our movie night and our welcome you know Mm -hmm. together event and then another night we had a moulin rouge sing-along (laughs) <laughs> yeah we played that oh no I think that was the same night I think we watched that after the glass onion we had like movie night the first night um settling in so yeah it was a great time yeah and I haven't been up for New Year's in a long time it feels so because I don't really celebrate you know we've talked about this yeah. before I'm not a big I'm not really into New Year's so I just uh it, it was fun to do it with a group of people and sure you know sure. have fun yeah well look at that yeah uh, let's see. What else did I have written down? I have Xmas at Joe's, so I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> and then we New Year, New Rue, but you're not you're not watching yet. So, so. Uh, okay, I'm, I I kind of want to talk this out with you on the air. So, oh, great! You know, if you've been a longtime listener, um, you you know that uh, Drag Race comes up a lot, and especially when there's a new season of it. I I'm not as called. I don't feel as called to watch or excited to watch this season. Yeah. Like I was excited. I think the last time I was truly excited to watch drag race was all stars, all winners Mm -hmm. because of the nostalgia element of seeing Queens that I know and love. And yeah, of course. And I didn't watch season 14. 
I I'm, don't know if I'm planning to watch 15. And I think also, like, I'm at a point where I want to lift up and see what I can... I want to focus more on getting excited about my local drag. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. So... Um, you know, I've been going to more local shows, not necessarily shows at the bars, but like um, shows that are just like, you know, truly local queens that are homegrown here, which has been really cool. Yeah. And and I attribute that a lot to my friend Jake in Baltimore when I went recently, because he is very... Um, He's very uh, uh, dialed into his local girl scene, the, the local Baltimore drag scene. Awesome. And I was just like, wow, that would be really cool to see what the queens here are like right now. Yeah, I like that. Our local houses. So, yeah, I'm not as uh, excited about the newer seasons. Yeah, I don't feel like there was a time where I felt more connected to it, like as a part of queer culture, but there's part of me that feels like it's not really for us anymore. No. Um, it also has the problem, and we've talked about this before, where like, you know, all the people look, you know, generally speaking, very attractive out of drag. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. kind of sh not that, I mean, not that people haven't been in the past, but it seems like more and more they're looking for people who, you know, have a certain aesthetic about them um, as defined by the standards of what is and isn't attractive. Because even the ones that they're like, oh, these are the hot people of the season. It's not necessarily that I find them attractive, but I just mean in general in that kind of way. Yeah. Um, they all have the same face because now we're getting more and more into the point where a lot of them are in their, they're young, you know, mm -hmm. a, a major chunk of the cast are like super young who've grown up on drag race. It's on MTV now. Yeah. It moved to MTV. Um, but they all kind of like somebody came out and in the new season and we were both like, Oh, well she looks awesome. Uh, you know, detox should sue. <laughs> like she looks like she's got detox's face. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them have just there's like a really standardized, like Instagrammable, TikTokable drag makeup face. <laughs> TikTokable, TikClockable. There we go, TikClockable. <laughs> uh, so it's like great makeup, no talent, you know, mm -hmm. no or no ability to like really make good drag. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I'm a skinny white boy in, mm -hmm. in a dress. <laughs> I feel like they need to do like a new season where, um, so <laughs> backstory, um, uh, the 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 TV show Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay. This this season's Hell's Kitchen is um, it's basically like it's a battle of the ages. So it's um, older chefs versus younger chefs. So there's like thirty twenty nine and below, and then like thirty five and up uh, for these for these uh, for this year. I feel like they need to do some sort of handicapping like that for the next season. <laughs> Right, where it's just like, okay, no queens under 35 and no one skinnier. <laughs> like, right. It's like you need to all be somewhere in the range of Alexis Mateo now and like Stacey Lane Matthews. You know, like we want, we want older, bigger queens. <laughs> 
and I and I would be curious to see what how that would go. Yeah, I don't know. And even that, I feel like, is that really the answer? Like, it's like, I don't want to necessarily be drag police because I don't want to be the opposite of the problem that we have now where, like, these 15, 16-year-old white girls are all over Instagram telling us what is and isn't drag. You know, it, it's, I mean, it's embarrassing to see, mm-hmm. like, these children, literally children, like, on Jackie Beat's page or Coco Peru's page or the Lady Bunny's page, like telling them what is and isn't drag or accusing them of stealing from you know, some girl uh, they saw on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's like, uh, I've had this makeup for 30 years, you little fuck face, you know? So there's like, so it's like, there's part of me where it's like, I don't want to police it. Cause like, you know, it has to be pushed, but I feel like there's just a, but if it's not being pushed, it's, then it's like homogenized. It's like, I cannot put my finger exactly on it. And it may take time, you know, to really kind of be able to pull back and see the full vision. Uh, it's just this like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I get, I'm very anti-assimilationist. I think when it comes to like queer culture and it's like, I don't want to see, and and all culture, you know, all culture does not need to be reduced to its lowest, you know, form, like boiled down to like the most appealing thing to the masses. And to me, there's like an element of that on Drag Race that I think is hurting rather than helping. Whereas drag di- Drag Race didn't used to be like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was there was a little bit more risk. But again, I'm also speaking after only seeing one episode of this. But it's something we've talked about for a couple of years now on the show. So I know I sound like a broken record and. Um, you know, Michelle Visage has come out against like, you know, we should just be happy that there's like queer people on television because they can take it away at any moment. Things can change, which I do believe, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this creeping like fascism that has been growing in our culture and is getting really scary. You know, people are showing up and threatening drag queens, you know, reading to children and, you know, these sorts of things. So there is a very real backlash that's lurking. So it's like, I do want to be it's just tearing me in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Being supportive and being like, this is awesome. And yes, we should be on TV and there should be more of us on TV. But I also fight against the homogeneity that is also kind of coming out of that. You know, when you see things that used to be like, we were talking about that with like pop music and such, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's funny now something that like, or not even pop music, but just general culture, um, Ortega, Jenna Ortega, showed up for one of the Mm -hmm. um, talk shows. I don't Uh remember which one. Kimmel, who else? Fallon. Sure. One of them. Johnny Carson. Yes. Um, (laughs) Joan Rivers. (laughs) Joan Rivers. Uh, But anyways, but she was wearing an outfit that was like almost identical to an outfit that Madonna wore back in the 90s for erotica promotion, for her Mm -hmm. album Erotica, that like at the time was like... And now it's like people put on bondage gear to go sit on like national television, you know, on a, like a family quote unquote, you know, something that's like so insidious and like on all TVs in America, people are watching the show and people sit there in like dominatrix gear that mm-hmm. a few years ago would have been like, so you know what I'm trying to say? Like just this idea of like, it's everything's just becoming very mainstream. And yes. I want both. I still want things to feel punk rock and feel, and I and I agree. I think if I got more into the local scenes, I'd probably see that that's still very much living. And maybe I just shouldn't hold a television show responsible for 
<laughs> well, no, you're. I think you're correct. I think you're. I think what we need to, or it's more nuanced. They, a lot yeah. of things can be true. A lot of things, <laughs> the duality, right? A lot of things can be true. We can hold many yeah. truths. And I think with Drag Race, we're at a point where we're oversaturated, mm-hmm. and everyone. There are like legit stars that have come out from this and that have used RuPaul's Drag Race as a platform. Um, And so, you know, we're in this stage now where it's like, you know, the... The, the kind of impact that Bob, Shangela, and Eureka have had with We're Here right. and, you know, the, um, by extension, like the, the glorious, uh, the glorious, up, the glorious uprising of Dragula, a right. show that I still haven't watched yet that I think I need to watch, um, because it's pushing it in a different, it's still like, it's drag race, but it still has its edge and it yeah. has no, it doesn't want to be mainstream. Like that's the other thing too, is that the RuPaul girls, all of that, they, there's a desperate need to be mainstream. And a lot of the girls who did this in the early years that have bucked, uh, have bucked against that too. Um, and I, I, I still take, I, I really take issue with, in terms of mainstreaming, I just take issue with like, straight people. And most of the audience, right. Is like straight women, straight white women. Um, uh, of a certain age, but I take issue with it because, like, I feel that there are, I feel like the place, the historical place in our culture that drag queens have, drag queens have occupied as these, um, as these artists, as like you know, our first activists, as like uh, having almost this transgressiveness, a, it, exactly the transgressiveness, but then also like the ministerial quality that they've have for the community in terms of you know being out there, um, being out and proud in a way that like is. Um, their safety is in danger because right. because of that, and so the yeah. minis- and I say ministerial in the sense of like you know we um, they're there at community events, right? Like, you know they they minister to our souls in a way yeah. using their art form. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, uh, and and about safety, and, and you've heard you know on the show drag queens talking about like yeah, my family was like okay with the queer thing gay thing whatever you know however people uh, identify but um not good drag was yeah yeah not it you know or my boyfriend broke up with me because i did drag or his family forced them him to break up with me because i did drag or so it is still like operates within our culture within queerness as you, this sort of transgressive yeah. space and subversive space and something that people still see as like dangerous in a way or unwanted in a way yeah. While at the same time having this like national celebration of it, un- in my opinion, under certain per within certain parameters. Yes. Yeah. So, because it's like, would dr- the people, because like back in the day, like Sharon Needles got on, you know, and not to say I'm supporting Sharon Needles or anything in, in general, but just kind of gory, bloody kind of thing. Well, she was on Drag Race. Well, now would her only choice be Dragula? Yeah. Would she even be able to get on Drag Race? Yeah. So there's also that kind of thing too, where it's like, I just feel like some more of the extremes are getting lost. Yeah. But we'll see. We, again, we've, we've talked about this before, talked it to death, but yeah, it's, a, it just debuted, you know, a couple days ago. So, you know, we're here again, yeah. having the same conversation, <laughs> looking yeah. into what, 
what it means. It's just really super weird. I, I think it's stranger for people my age because I bet I do have to wonder about kids that are like 15, 16, 17, 18 who don't have like, and and again, and on the reverse, there might be people older than me, 60, 70, who feel very differently. But it's like, I still remember a time where it's like, it was all unsafe. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like queer people were not celebrated the way they are now. But again, it also is under specific acceptance rules in a way. Mm -hmm. So as we've seen with many other cultures and how things get pulled and taken and sanitized and, you know, represented as something else. So anyways, whatever. (laughs) I do hope if nothing else, it does continue to create safe spaces for queer kids. Cause uh, like I've said before, this is not in an attempt to be like, everybody should suffer and we should go back to like the dark days. I just want both. I want us to be able to be transgressive and, you know, gender fuck and, you know, just bold and weird and underground in some ways, but also still get to be, you know, mainstream for the people who want to do that and that be a space. So it's like, it just, I feel this like push and pull of, acceptance and assimilation versus like, well, I want you to just like accept that I exist and to have a right to exist and not have to abide by your rules in order to be accepted by you. Yeah. I should still be able to be a fucking weirdo while also being queer and not have to. And worry about, you know, yeah. uh, Worry about activity bullshit. Exactly. And I feel like from, I feel like the, the shows that I've seen that are like purely local shows that don't have any name, quote unquote, names right. attached to them um, have been have been the places where like the queens can get weird and, yeah. they, and they can do they can do the weird stuff. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, last year's winner, uh, Willow. Pill, well, whatever. It's out I know there. her. I can't, yeah. I can't help yeah. it. Uh, Willow she, Pill. she did some really strange shit on the show and won. So maybe uh, that in and of itself, I guess, may go against my own, yeah, <laughs> my own thesis. But I don't know. Well, because there's a certain level of confidence that you have to have, right? And if you're confident enough that, like, I like weird stuff and it's very me, and here's how it goes, and then you can see kind of. I'm curious with it's not so like pre season 14, obviously, but like, are you, have you noticed that like the girls who get on there and like their whole personality is that they're pretty like fail almost miserably because it's like, that's all of your identity and your confidence is rooted in the fact that you look good, yeah, that you are looking fishy enough, but there's, nothing deeper than that like right and to get on the show and just like to get on the show knowing that because it's been on forever right so like knowing that like you're gonna have to act right. and you're gonna have to have a personality and you no one's ever told you that you never had one <laughs> right yeah yeah no and it, that pisses me off too when you see that because it's like a total waste of space where somebody else more interesting could have been there Mm-hmm. But again, every season needs both. You need people that you know you're going to cut right away. Production, it's it, that's the other thing. You know, so much of television production demands that they produce the show far mm-hmm. more than they used to, and that's yeah. something that becomes more and more obvious. Like I said, the new the new season has this set of twins, Sugar and Spice, which I just I can't with that. Like, 
Anyways, but... <laughs> and it's not that they're bad or anything. They're actually, you know, turning out to be, you know, in the first episode, people are like, oh, okay, I really didn't like them at first, but maybe they're okay. Like, they're they're interested. There's some stuff going on there. But it's so obvious that it, eventually they're going to, like, lip sync against each other and one of them is going to go home and it's going to be crying and a mess and, you know, that's my sister. That It's like, it's so obvious. And there are mm-hmm. these other things that are just becoming so obvious about the show that used to not be as, you know. Because it's so produced. Yeah. But whatever. Anyways. We can't have surprises anymore. Right. We all need to know exactly how this is going to go down. So, well, and that goes back. I mean, you know, when they had Alyssa and Coco on there, we're like, well, that's going to be a lips. Like, they're Mm going to make sure that that showdown happens at some point. Because it has to. So, it's kind of the same thing. It's It's just becoming more just really obviously produced. But again, that's also not totally new. It's just more aggravating, I guess. Well, whatever. Yeah. I could just turn it off and not watch it. <laughs> you could. Instead of complaining. Yeah. It's not like they need me watching it. But yeah. You could come with me to a local girl show next yeah. time. Which I actually would like to. So, anyways. All right. Well, we are going to take a real quick break, and then we will be back to kick off our uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street deep dive. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, welcome back. So yes, keeping with our January tradition the last couple of years, what did we do first? We did the Purge series? We did the Purge, the first Purge. The first Purge. Well, no, we did the Purge there. first. There we go. <laughs> and then last year we did Scream. We did scream. a Scream deep dive. Yes, Scram, Five Cream. Five, um, yes. What would be this one be called? <laughs> Six Cream? Uh, yeah. Or Scree Six? I don't know. They're doing something weird where it's like Scream and then the M, it's like, it's highlighted. So it's like the V-I. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so Scream. So this year we thought it would be fun to return to, we did A Nightmare on Elm Street in the first season. We did. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was the first season or if we waited. No, if we... It, yeah, it was the first season for yeah, sure. I just you, had a, you had a couple slashers in the first season. Yeah, we've, been, we've just been doing this for so long that I can't remember oh, when did, we did what. Did, did, Joshua, do you remember when we watched The Exorcist together? Do you? <laughs> Joshua, wake up. Oh, God, he's dead. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, I just couldn't remember if I put it in the first season or if we did it in the second. But um, 
regardless, we have done the original and we've done Freddy 2, Freddy's Revenge, mm-hmm. uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. We did 2. documentary about... We did talk about Scream Queen, uh, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Mark Patton slash Freddy yeah. 2. Uh, so we've been here before, but we've never watched a bunch of the other movies. No. So, and we're not doing all of them. We may come back around and pick up some of the. Um, I don't want to say lesser. I'm going to say other sequels, sequels. Uh, but to kick off, we're going to talk about the remake from 2010. So this is like a our compare and contrast episode, which we've done with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, some of the others that have gotten remakes. There's some other we could recreate our entire first season with just like remakes. I think at this point, I think just about every film we did, except Saw, has either a remake or or like a requel. Because like even Blair Witch got that Blair Witch thing where it's like they bring back the yeah. sister. It's like a whole thing. It feels very requely. Um, but almost every... You could do Jigsaw for Saw. It's kind of a reboot. Kind of, yeah. I wonder if they will ever remake Saw. Wouldn't that be interesting to get old enough to see like the entire Saw franchise remade? I'm sure it will happen as everything. But anyways. Oh my God, hold on. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, we could do a remake... Or a reboot of everything in the first Amityville and yeah. stuff that's also like older remakes that are older too. Exactly, like yeah, Thing they're... from Another World is the thing, right? Damn, yeah. And then we even have a prequel to that now. Yeah, also called the thing because yeah. that's the thing to do. <laughs> Lord Anyways, Lord so mercy. Sorry, we're filling time because there's not much to talk about with it. The... No, I'm kidding. There's plenty to discuss, but this was. Much maligned when it came out, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. We've got uh, who? Directed by Samuel Bayer. Screenplay Wesley Strick and Eric Heisserer, obviously based on Wes Craven's mm-hmm. um, original. So uh, Platinum Dune is behind is the production behind this. So New Line and Platinum Dune. It's Platinum Dunes, which is Michael Bay's thing, I believe. Um, and they did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the Amityville Horror remake, the Friday the 13th remake, they're responsible for the Purge series, A Quiet Place. So, you know, they, they've been doing this for a bit, rebooting things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I, I had read that... Um, apparent, so you've not seen the Friday the 13th remake yet? No. Okay. We probably will do it eventually, uh, just because... It's interesting. I I think, one, we need to watch a few of the sequels first before we do it, because they did something that I actually appreciated about the Friday the 13th remake, is they kind of took the first three movies and then maybe elements of the others to do the remake, so it kind of condenses a lot of the mythology into, like, one film. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, because, you know, in the original film, you don't get the hockey mask and all of that kind of stuff, so they obviously want, you know, if you're going to remake it, you've got to do the full you need Jason. to have a ton of exposition to get there. Yeah, so they they kind of condense it all so they can kind of, you know, make the remake work. Uh, it's reimagined, much like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was reimagined. So uh, originally, I guess the, the, the plan was to do that with, with A Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of take a few of the movies and pull elements from them, but then they decided to just try to remake the original or reimagine the original mm-hmm. screenplay. Although there's still some things in here, which we will we'll talk about in a little bit that I do feel are part of the other sequels that you will see as we continue on this journey, showing you some of the, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. But, um, 
Yeah, so let's see. We've got Jackie Earl Haley stepping into Robert England's mm-hmm. glove as uh, as Freddy Froderick Kruger. <laughs> Froderick, <laughs> Froderick, Froderick Kruger. And then we have you know another uh, Scream King, as you were calling. It. So it's like Justin Long, Kyle Gallner, mm-hmm. uh, or however you say his name, uh, playing Quentin. Uh, who's sort of a cognate for Johnny Depp's character, Glenn, Glenn in the yep. original. And then Rooney Mara is, our, uh, is, our, Nancy. is our Nancy. And then other people from their early 2000s that you'd recognize uh, from such Jacker. illustrious things as Twilight. And, yeah, uh, uh, Kellen Lutz. Yes. Was, am I wrong where any of these people in the O.C.? Um, because they all look like the cast of the OC. Like yeah, I feel do. like you could just replace them. <laughs> um, I wonder. I don't know if Thomas Decker was. Kyle Gallner was not in the OC, but he was in Veronica Mars. He ah. he has a great character arc in in Veronica Mars. It's actually really fun. All right. Um, well, I'm just. I had to. Yeah. I felt I had to mention the OC because Joe has a new show, y'all. Hope I know. Listening. Listen, White people problems on the Geekscape Network. Yes, on the Geek. Oh shit! I told God I'm the worst. I meant to mention that again at the top of the show. Like, yes, we are so happy to be on Geekscape. So fun! I love it. But anyway, thanks, daddies, um, <laughs> zaddies. Um, you, yeah. So, anyways, I, in watching this, I kept thinking that these people were probably on these kinds of shows because uh, the woman who's playing like the the Tina character mm-hmm. cognate. Um, oh gosh, what was her? Chris, Katie Cassidy. What is she in? I feel like I recognized her. I think, hold on, Katie Cassidy. I, she was in the Black Christmas, the first Black Christmas remake in 2006. Oh, she was on Supernatural for a while. Was she also in Charmed? Charmed, like the old school Charmed? Yeah, like, you know. I don't know. Maybe as like when she was young. Well, see, now I'm looking, now I'm looking her up now. Oh, she made her film debut in when when a stranger calls, which is also a remake. Yes, <laughs> I love this this uh, thing. Taken, she was in that apparently. She did a little Gossip Girl. See, so not. Oh, so there we go. Situation. See, and I think Gossip Girl, like the, a lot of those shows, get mixed up in my brain because I never really watched them. I only saw the like the character posters, <laughs> and it's just like white people problems. That's like the best. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect way. So. Anyways, there we go. That's kind of a rundown of like the cast. Keelan Lutz, he's, you know, in the very beginning. Thomas Decker, like you mentioned, which is, it's fun to see him. I just had watched that um, All About Evil, written and directed by Peaches Christ, and he's in that too. That was fun with uh, Natasha Leone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what I love is like, despite the reviews, I mean, this made $117 million, almost $118 million on a budget of 35. So, so a success. I mean, that seems financially successful to me. Um, but, you know, given that there wasn't a million sequels, I'm guessing it wasn't what they were hoping. Yeah. But anyways, what uh, what were your thoughts on seeing this uh, for the first time? Um, it, it reminded me of how long ago um, we saw the first, I saw the first one. Yeah. Because I also haven't revisited the first one since. Um Wow, it, that's so funny because I probably watch that movie once or twice a year. Yeah, I haven't revisited. It's it. another like a good bedtime movie. <laughs> the music, it's just it's I can't, nice. I can't it can't just with you. lulls me. <laughs> I can't with you. Um, 
Yeah, it was really, it was interesting. It was an interesting one. Um, I thought it felt very, um, uh, it had the same kind of fear and uh, feeling and tone as the, um, as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah. Um, it's bloodier. Like it's definitely kind of cashing in on that late aughts, early teens, like really graphic horror. Yeah. Um, it still has remnants of like, you know, the fucking like, like the Trent Reznor, like do, 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 like in the beginning with the, with how they're doing it. Like it reminded me of like, uh, Oh, like the opening credits to seven. Yeah. It reminded me of like the covenant and like murder by numbers. Like that's what it reminded me. Yeah. 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 So, so, so all, all said and done though, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was, um, I thought that I loved a little bit more of the background than the original one did. Um, in fact, like I love uh, when I did uh, our friend Brennan, who's been on the show, he had a uh, charity podcast, like, like mini series where he, where he recapped Freddy's nightmares. Um, and I was on the first episode for that one. And the first episode of Freddy's nightmares is basically the story of the original story of Fred Krueger, where he was, a uh, he was a little diddler. He was, you know, he was a diddler on the roof. Um, and he, um, I liked how they brought that in this time as well too. And yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's nothing. Robert England is will always be Robert England, and I like that Jackie Earl Haley didn't try uh, to do an impression. Um, kind of tried, really did try to make it his own thing, and was very was a lot more menacing. Um, but yeah, like it was, it was fine. Like. I can see why it made a lot of move, a lot of uh, a lot of money for them, but um, I don't think we need to have another one. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, sorry, something you said about Robert England. I was looking up. Um, he because he was supportive of Jackie Earl Haley playing the role because mm-hmm. he thought he kind of would bring something different to it and not exactly not try to be be freddy uh would you watch this again would i watch this again um maybe in a group but yeah yeah like i would watch like the remake of texas chainsaw the first remake of texas chainsaw massacre in in a group but like because i think that that's what this type of movie is good at like it has the jump scares it's got um, it's got the blood and the gore. Like, I think so. Um, we're yeah. keeping track now, right? Of Right, of the ones that you We're watch. in a new new year, right? So we'll just keep track of it. But <laughs> yeah, I would watch this. I would watch well, this that's, again. That's but conditional. Any, yeah. like, you'd watch it again conditionally. That yes, there's exactly. Yeah. There's no, very few, I would watch this unconditionally again. There we go. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah, I th- as, uh, like, I a big fan of the original. I love, I love this series. It's Mm -hmm. just one of those things that, like I said before, I was born the year that this came out, the original came out. So I was very, yeah. Freddie was just always a presence in my life. My mother loved Freddy Mm Krueger. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of nostalgia goggles for the series. The, um, but there are also things when you rewatch it that like the original, that's kind of like, 
the science of sleep has come along. There yeah. are things that they didn't care to know or to look up or to try to recreate or, or again, even the knowledge maybe wasn't there. Uh, so night, the original Nightmare on Elm Street definitely exists as like a specific kind of document, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, but there are things when I look back on it and I'm just like, oh yeah, that is kind of ridiculous or that doesn't make any sense or like none of these people seem sleep deprived. <laughs> they all seem like, you know, things are fine. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. they're having, they're being you know, terrorized, but mm-hmm. they're just things that are kind of missing from it that I think the remake does a good job of, of, of pulling in. Mm-hmm. Um, by no means do would I prefer. I, yeah, I mean, yes, I'm going to keep the original. I would throw this away if that was the choice. Yeah, yeah, I would not. I'm, I don't think this is better than the original. But I do think there are things about the original that are kind of stupid <laughs> in a way, uh, just as there are things about this. But there, there are things in this that I, I do enjoy. Yeah. Um, such as like the sleep deprivation, like they really look it and they kind of seem to really go into like the science of a little bit again. I mean, it's a film, it's a slasher movie for like teens to, you know, like go to the mm-hmm. movie theater and see it's still very much in that kind of vein. But I like the conversation around micro napping and, um, you know, what it can look like, uh, which is, you know, that's, that's a real thing that's happened to me. Like if I try to like stay awake, like I, I will click off and I don't realize it. That's I've, I don't, I do that way too often actually because <laughs> I'm just you know it's like as you get older it's like man you just you want to go to bed at four o'clock yeah <laughs> so and especially like coming back home like from concerts and stuff if we go to LA I like will be like white knuckling trying to stay asleep so like bolt upright and just like awake click off you know for, white knuckling like, trying to stay awake yes trying to okay. stay awake what did I say you said asleep oh yeah he was micronapping just now I was I just turned off <laughs> um but yeah trying to stay awake and especially when somebody when it's not Jeffrey driving if it's like mm-hmm. somebody else but it's hard it's like and I my it's just it turns off so it's like those kinds of it's like I I just I I appreciate that element of it there are some really cool sequences that flashes between like reality and waking are uh, you waking and non-waking, you know, moments uh, that I that I enjoy um, about the remake? Um, what was the other? There's something else that ugh, I hate when that happens. Just left me, but that's okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just enjoy like those elements that I, I think are really fun. I hate again. This is just. I mean, it's Michael Bay, it's Platinum Dunes, so, you know, CGI over every fucking thing, which I think hurts the film in some ways. Yeah. Because uh, especially when you think about, like, the first sequence, like, they show, they they kind of mimic it where he comes out of the wall. Yeah. And yeah. I think in the original, that's very much like a, you know, like a practical effect. And sure. so having it, that sequence, I'm just like, oh, you could have just done practical. Like, I just, yeah. I think I really would have preferred a lot more practical stuff and they do it with something like the wall the um wet dream yeah <laughs> that you left about you know like when the hallway becomes a pool of blood like yeah. there's there are some cool practical effects in this and i think when they merge like the sequence where she falls out of the ceiling and like the pool in of the blood, blood yeah kind of mimics the johnny depp's death sequence in yeah. the original film that's a nice mix of both yeah it's yeah. an homage but it also is doing something completely different yeah yeah and i also think they do a nice job of kind of with the CGI and the practical elements mm-hmm. of that kind of coming mm-hmm. together are, are really nice. But yeah, that's, that's my big, my big complaint about it is, is I wish there was less CGI, but it's just, that's the time period we're in. You know? Yeah. Um, 
So something else that I guess the the really big thing to compare and contrast between the two movies is the Freddy Krueger story, is the backstory. Mm-hmm. So Wes Craven, I think we talked about this on the original episode, which I'm going to try to remember to link below in the comments or in the <laughs> show notes, um, is Wes Craven had wanted him to be a child molester. We're going to have to pop a big old like, content warning on this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the studio obviously didn't really want that, so they wanted him to just be like a child killer. You know, why molester? Just kill them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't do anything to them other than kill them. Yeah. No. <laughs> don't, again, diddler on the roof, right? You diddler don't... on the roof. Is yeah. that what you're going to call this episode, Jesus? Maybe. Did- diddler in the boiler room. <laughs> um, <laughs> a diddler on the roof. <laughs> Sounds crazy, though. <laughs> this is your God now. <laughs> Lawsuit. Yeah. Jail. Calling the police. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyways, um, so that decision, you know, to make him more just like a child killer in the original, Mm -hmm. this one very much brings back like the pedophile molester vibe of it all. Um, But I I don't, I I struggle with it a bit because I think the story gets a little undermined. Like I think mm-hmm. there's something. So in the original, because we know that Fred Krueger was a child killer and he murdered children. So like the ghosts of those children are like showing up in the dreams and there's like, you know, that's kind of an element of it. Sure. So this, it's more like he's doing whatever he's doing to these children gets run out of town. It's kind of the same story, at least in like, he gets set on fire by a vigilante mob of chill of parents. Um, you know, Mm-hmm. And then they play in this film. They play with the Izzy isn't he kind of thing. So they think he's a pedophile. So they burned him up. But the kids, you know, they've repressed the memories or they've forgotten. Um, there was no hard evidence. Yeah, there wasn't hard evidence at the time. So they all think like, no, we're being hunted because he didn't do it. Yeah. And then of course, there's a late in the film reversal of that where oh, he did do it. So he's like killing us because he's mad that we told mm-hmm. <laughs> is like the thing um and his obsession with nancy which also again i'm not an expert on pedophiles <laughs> by any means but <laughs> but i do know and just from my studies from our studies oh um, from her studies you know and yeah. you know definitions of like it's like most perpetrators of this kind of violence mm-hmm lose interest once the child reaches a certain age. So like his obsession with Nancy is also a little weird. Cause it's like, are you a pedophile or you're like obsessed with just this girl who's now a teenager, practically an adult, which it, again, this is, we're getting, it's such a strange conversation to be having, but it's something that like in reading about the film and reading about like the psychology of it. Cause this is, you know, there's some cool articles out there talking about like, you know, the a nightmare on Elm street and, um, child molestation storylines within Mm -hmm. it because there's something else about like the original film. It's really hard to like side with a pedophile, you know, like if Freddy Mm Krueger, like Robert England's Freddy Krueger was a molester. That's is different than just being a killer of children. Not that it's, Mm all that better yeah but like that crime those are two very different crimes 
things. Yeah. And so, but people love Freddy Krueger and he's kind of become an antihero and a drag queen. And we've kind of talked about these things before. He's funny and he's got, you know, quippy yeah. one-liners. He's campy. He's campy. He's fully aware that he knows what he's doing. He's but like, if you're thinking yeah. like, wow, we all really love this like child molesting dream demon. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up, but that's no. not really the story in those. So they kind of bring him back to this kind of, you know, darker original intention that yeah. Wes Craven had. Something the that real world horror, as it were, of yeah, of the story of Fred Krueger. Yeah. So in doing that, though, like you have to have consistency, I think, over what kind of crime that is, and like the psychology of that. Sure. Yeah. You know? So him sort of still being obsessed with her is is weird to me. I just don't, I don't think it, again, this is one story of one type of child molester. So maybe he is just obsessed with Nancy and that's fine. We can accept it and move on. But just personally, like in defining like a pedophile, a lot of times they lose interest when the child reaches an age that they're not interested in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) As you know, a euphemism. Um, So, that's weird. That whole that whole side of it, I'm just like, I don't understand this. And two, I think actually making him a pedophile and him actually having done it undermines the whole fucking story. Because they do this thing with like the Pied Piper of Hamlin early in the film where they make a reference to that. It's like, you know, oh, he's betrayed by a town and in return he steals all their children. I think that makes a lot more sense if he didn't do it. If he was completely innocent, like just a Mm -hmm. nice guy at a, you know, just friendly dude at the school who likes the kids and enjoys working with them and, you know, take, you know, whatever goes above and beyond his job to like make sure the kids are happy and safe and the parents see something, you know, just so wrong in that and they kill him and so as punishment for that you know he takes their kids you you know he becomes a dream demon and takes their children i just think that's a more it just makes more sense so that's the other thing that i don't really like about the movie is in the end he's not an innocent who's become a monster because others you know like Candyman. yeah exactly like a Candyman type story like that i just think it would have been more interesting or if nothing else should have had it proven that he did it when they killed him. And then it's just, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like, you know, I'm angry because you were all right about me. And <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Personally, that's, that's a, that's an yeah. issue that I have with the remake is I, I think it would have been scarier and more interesting if he hadn't done it. Well, it would have been, it would have been more interesting for sure because it's like in the, in we don't question in the first one that he did what he did. Like it's just, he was a killer and we, we all put him to death, but now he apparently is, you know, getting his revenge. There's no question about that. He did it. And even in the Freddy's nightmare uh, series, there's no question. He's unapologetic about doing it. Right. So when you get to this thing, it's like, we know that, the whole mention that he might be innocent was very like, it was just kind of shoehorned in there. Like I felt like it could have been a slower burn or a build up to that to have some sort of like really dramatic scene where they're looking at documents and realizing that, Oh my God, he could be innocent. Um, And it would have been great to have that twist be like, actually he is innocent. This is basically him being an angel of vengeance 
you know, the crow. <laughs> he's being, right. He's, he's, he's the angel of vengeance on the parents specifically because they were just doing it. But then it, it, to me, it's also like, okay, where would they have gone with that? Because like someone was abusing these kids. So it's like, who, who could it have been? And yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately, I think that ultimately what would have been interesting is that only one of the kids had like marks and it was that kid's parent who was the abuser. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which could have been really interesting. Could have been a really cool conversation about who actually harms children. Because yeah. a lot of these cases, it is. It's somebody you know. It's a family member. As we've talked about in our work with like the many monologues, the vagina monologues, you know, the person who's going to commit sexual assault, you probably know them. Yeah. Um, it's not always some stranger in the bushes. So yeah, yeah again, I think that would have added a really interesting mm-hmm. element to the story that would have elevated it above and made it less confusing because it yeah. just, it's like, I'm mad with, cause you told our secret. Like I, that's just, I mean, yeah, that it tracks. That's, that's horrible. That's like very horrific, but yeah, it's from a, from a horror narrative standpoint, we've already kind of seen it. And therefore like there were, if you're going to, I think that's one thing that remakes do better. Now remakes, reboots do in, in, in our modern context is that they're not afraid to twist it a little bit or either they commit or they get to that conclusion in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what, and what I was going to say is that a lot of people do report that that is often, the case, you know, where they're threatened by their perpetrator. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if you tell people, I'll hurt you, I'll hurt them, I'll hurt whoever, yeah. you know, so it's not that it doesn't totally track that he's like, you know, you broke our promise or whatever, but it's still, I don't know. I just think it would be a more interesting film and could really speak to some other things. So the fact that, like, oh yeah, the weirdo at the school is actually, a pe- it just plays into a lot of the stereotypes mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm don't we don't have historical reality when we look mm-hmm. at who actually perpetrates this kind of crime mm-hmm. so it's just another i it, yes i'm you know psychology degreeing all over the place but it's like you know there like words mean something um you know diagnoses mean something behaviors mean something in the real world sure. and i think that it's a really delicate issue that this film does not handle uh, could have handled better and made a much more interesting film. And again, would have, if you're going to remake a movie like A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. yeah, elevate it a little bit. So it's like, yeah, if he's not actually the perpetrator of this violence, that I mean, it's just way more interesting. And I really like that idea of like, you know, finding out that one of their parents actually did it. You know, because Nancy, I, you, or no, I guess it's the other girl. Chris. Chris, Chris is who the one has who has the, the mark. claw marks. Yeah. But if they would have made it Nancy that it had the claw marks, because her father's like not in the picture in this film, you know, it's just yeah. the mother. So it's like it would explain that, like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. We blame this guy, but I was yeah. married to your father at the time, and I did, wanted to ignore his... Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. just all this other interesting conversation that yeah. could have happened in the film about a very delicate issue. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make light of pedophilia or, you know, sexual assault or molestation. It's just I think it could be a little bit more responsibly handled and had had a conversation that was just... Would have pushed it 
in a, in yeah. a really interesting cultural conversation. Yeah. I think so too. Because this is also very much rooted in, so there was those like back when, during the satanic panic period of like Mm -hmm. the 80s and then there were all those conversations about like, oh, these sex cults at like preschools and then you find out that none of them did it. Like they Mm -hmm. put all these parents in jail and all of this like terrible stuff happened and it was all made up. It was all planted in their minds and it was like, you know, just, this is insane. So Mm -hmm. playing with those ideas with a, film that originally came out in the 80s like in the midst of like those sorts of conversations I just yeah it would have just for me been a better film um having said that I I enjoy this I yeah I have been pretty you know I I give a lot of horror a a curve (laughs) so while there are things I don't like about it there are things that I do enjoy it's an easy watch it's easy to put on and kind of have as like that, a fun, like a pizza party and popcorn. That's kind of what we did too. Like there were moments where, like, okay, well, we're watching, watching, and there were moments where we're like, you know, yeah. eating our burritos and just having a good time. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Um, oh, repressed memories. That's what I was going to say about that because that was the the thing with like the Satanic Panic and mm-hmm. the, um, I can't remember what daycare it was. Bedham. In the film, yeah, but I was trying to remember the name of the um, actual, um, the real world. Um, uh, molestation accusations that happened mm-hmm. at the, uh, what was that place called? Daycare, um, daycare sex abuse hysteria. Uh, was that your Google entry? Did you just type in K? <laughs> no, that's that's an actual Wikipedia thing. Uh, Kern County child abuse cases. That was one. That was, but that's not the one I'm looking for. There was like a really s- specific. But yeah, there's a whole article here about the suggestibility of children. You know, it's easy to kind of plant suggestions in some ways. McMartin preschool trial in California. That's what I was thinking of, where I think a lot of the people involved were actually innocent. Hmm. Uh, Martinsville scandal. That was in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. I listened to a uh, podcast about that. That was tied up with the uh, satanic panic uh, cases. So again, I think this film had a lot of opportunity to have a conversation about that, but instead it kind of bent to just, you know, yeah, stereotypical. Mm -hmm. It it just kind of killed the point for me. I just would have really loved if he had been innocent and this really was like a Pied Piper kind of situation. Uh, Something I was going to say, and you haven't seen them yet, but it'll, it'll come. So even though they said they weren't trying to combine some of the films, there are elements from some of the other films in this. Um, Patricia Arquette's character in the um, Dream Warriors. She's like an artist. She like makes things. It's very much reminds me of that sequence where Nancy's like kind of up late at night painting or uh, doing Mm -hmm. charcoal drawings. Mm Uh, I think there's a sequence where her room, I don't know if it's snow or if it's ash, but that whole sequence reminds me of, of a sequence in, in, in another of the films. Um, you know, they're just, they're just some things that sure. I'm like, Oh, the, this, this does hint, even though they said they kind of reversed on that choice. There mm-hmm. are things that I'm like, Oh yeah, that does kind of remind me of, you know, blah, blah sequence or sure, that sequence. Sure. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to say that for some reason. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, overall, I 
I, I think it's fun. I'm not too, again, broken record. Nobody's breaking into this house and stealing my box set of the Nightmare on Elm Street films and telling me I can only watch Rooney Mara. Uh, <laughs> who also, I think it's a bad rap. Like, there's all these complaints about her performance, but I'm like, she looks like somebody who's sleep deprived and is behaving no. <laughs> like somebody who is sleep deprived. <laughs> So it's like, it makes sense. Yes. Like we meet her, like when in the original film, we kind of meet them as at the beginning of it. So they're slowly becoming more and more sleep deprived and, but they don't really show it in a realistic way. Whereas this, she's already obviously been trying not to sleep for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, along with the others, like when Keelan Lutz at the beginning or Kellen, Keelan? Kellen, I think. Kellen, let's, whatever. I don't Kellen, know. like Helen. <laughs> Kellen, Kellen, Helen Kellen. Um, <laughs> she looks really tired in the beginning with her baggy eyes and all of that. Which, oh, that her was Her five o'clock shadow. That was something else I really liked. So one of the things in the original film that I agree with uh, an article I read that is that, that does bother me is the death of Rod. So the Tina's boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, who's in the room when she dies and he like goes on the run and mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing where Nancy meets him in the bushes and it, and then he dies it, in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like the bed sheet like becomes a snake and like wraps around him and like hangs him. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird because it is this idea of like, well, Freddie's supposed to be like in your dream. So you're, you're dying in your sleep mm-hmm. based on something in the dream. So, but in the, I don't remember how he dies, how Freddy kills him in the dream. But the idea is that it makes it look like he committed suicide by hanging himself mm-hmm. with the bed sheet. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, in the beginning, to everybody looking, he's slitting his own throat. But in the dream, you know, Freddy's doing it. Yeah. So it's kind of acted out in the real world. I like that better than like Rod's death. Sure. Because it's like, it doesn't... If if he's only in the dream, so there's like some logic problems in the original film too. Mm-hmm. That again, not to say that there aren't logic problems in this as well, but mm-hmm. just the idea of like, you know, he's looks like he's killing himself, but mm-hmm. it is an acting in the dream. I like rather than like, how did Freddie make a outside of his sure. dream consciousness like make a bed sheet turn into like a snake? Like that's yeah, kind of a so anyways, that was something else mentioned in an article. I was like, yeah, I've, th- that's always bothered me too. I think that Rod deserved a better, quote unquote, better death. Sure. You know, a better logical death. But of course he's in prison, he's in jail, I mean, and he can't, <laughs> for the logic of the film, it's not like they can make it something kind of fantastic or else the sure. adults are, are going to believe like, oh, maybe something fishy is going on. Sure, sure, sure. Even though we all know we've hidden this death from our children. Mm-hmm. This murder we committed. This murder. 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 Um, <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of any other. Were you doing Benoit Blanc? Mm-hmm. <laughs> murder. Now do now do Poirot. Murder. murder. Yeah, he'd be murder. <laughs> <laughs> Implanted in them the idea of your murder. Murder. Uh, <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> um, shit. Anyways. We've, yeah, gone, I, we've gone off the rails. We are. We're always off the rails. I, yeah, because we've watched the original, I wanted to show you the remake as a nice way to like kick off our, this deep dive. So next up, we'll be talking about this, you know, some of the sequels that have come. 
not all of them, right? Some of them. Yeah, some so of them. St- so stick around. To yeah, it's basically, it's kind of, I mean, again, it's, it is definitely my opinion. So we're going to watch the ones that I like. <laughs> I like them all, but just. But some more than others. Yeah, and there are some. You that do I, have a favorite child. Yes, there are some that I'm not sure how we'd get a full episode out of talking about them, but. The others, I have ideas. So, um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully we may have a special guest. So that's always nice. Yeah. Uh, which historically we have had, because uh, uh, our Freddy's Revenge, we had Jackie from the Jersey Goyles mm-hmm. on. And uh, last year for Scream, we had Brennan. Yeah. Oh, well, I meant for this franchise. Oh, yes. For that's sure. true. Uh, we had a bunch of guests last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, um, yeah, that's A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Kicking off January here on Fright School yeah. with our deep dive into a franchise. Yeah, franchise January. <laughs> we can come up with a better name. Yeah, we'll figure it out. All righty. Well, Joe, good night. Good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network. 